Hey everyone, and welcome to this Thursday's stream. I'm glad you could join me as always, and it looks like we've got a pretty active chat this morning, or this, this evening, uh, as well. So, uh, as always, don't forget to turn up your resolution if it's really low. Now, I'd like to go ahead and start jumping into things, because I've got, like, so much to cover at this point, alright? So, <laughs> let's go ahead and lead with the fact that, well, Anne Boleyn, Perhaps you're familiar, it depends on how much of a public school you went to, I suppose, but she was one of the wives that was killed by King Henry VIII, right? And so a pretty famous figure from history. And, you know, there have been a lot of different movies made, reenactments made, um, and plays. But in the most recent reenactment, which is an actual TV series or movie series, kind of like a, you know, well, she's black, which... <laughs> is a bit ridiculous because it's supposed to be history, right? And there is this kind of pattern that you see, uh, especially in like modern commercials where you see the kind of erasure of, of white people. Um, you might say the displacement of white people within entertainment. And it, this has been going on for some time. It, it just seems a little bit worse when we're talking about actual historical figures that are now being sort of remade in this alternative theory, right? That's, that's where we are. It's the, the replacement of white people in history seems to be like a sort of next step. That's where we are. So the re-engineered history of Anne Boleyn um, has already aired, actually, in Britain on Channel 5 and premieres today, if you're watching this live, on December 9th uh, on AMC. Now, one of the, the quotes that I thought was really interesting in regards to this was, was this one that I read. It says, Quote, because it's such a well-known period of history, and Anne's story itself has been really well covered, we wanted to make sure that it felt fresh and alive and different, and also reflective of our society today, unquote. So I'm just going to hold right there, because the thing is about history is, it's not supposed to be reflective of society today. That's what makes it history, is the fact that it's reflective of the society and the people that were at that point in history. That's literally what history is and why it's distinguished and how it's distinguished from the present, right? That, that That's it, <laughs> you know? And the thing is, there are some people who get particularly bent out of shape when somebody like me makes this point. But the, ultimately, here it is. Uh, nobody's going to remake Roots with an all-white cast, right? Nobody wants to do that. Nobody's suggesting that. It would seem a bit ludicrous. And yet, this is this the kind of you might say equivalent, it's remaking history minus the, the racial dynamics, or by changing the racial dynamics intentionally. They actually replaced um, uh, you know, the, the white woman, Anne Boleyn, uh, with a Jamaican woman. So she's actually looked really black. He's not just a, you know, a, a little bit um, mixed. So yeah, I mean, that's where we are. And if you pay attention to sort of modern media, that's that's something you see a lot of. Like the more you pay attention, the more you kind of see it. It's one of those things. You'll see it a lot in commercials. You'll see it a lot in TV shows now. And especially one of the things that I've noticed is that whenever you see a white man, he's almost never playing a decent role. I mean, I, I don't remember when the last time was that I saw a man, especially in a commercial, a white man in a commercial, who is positive. Like, seriously. And, and the thing is that unless you start paying attention, you don't see this problem. Unless you start paying attention, you don't realize that every white man is presented as somebody who's kind of effeminate, 
somebody who's not dominant, somebody who's perhaps stupid, um, and needs to be corrected by the, the female figure, and that kind of thing. Now, this is what you see. It really is a pattern. And again, you won't see it until you actually look for it. But when you start paying attention, you're like, you know, it's one thing if it happens in one commercial, but when it happens in every single one, and again, I don't remember when the last time was that I saw, you know, a straight white male presented as a positive figure within um, a commercial. And even I would, I would go further, like within sort of modern TV shows and so on, there's, a, there's always like some, some reason there's something wrong with that person, right? Uh, you know, some kind of massive character flaw, unlike the, the other person who has to rush in to save us from that character flaw. All right, let me get a drink and then we will move right on. Um, Hillary says, I don't watch TV or movies anymore. They're a total waste of time. Well, they are, but they're, they're worse than a waste of time because they, they were always a waste of time. Um, but nowadays, they do more than that. Nowadays, they're not just meant to waste your time. They're actually meant to indoctrinate you and your kids with certain very specific messages. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they're replacing certain, for example, white figures. It's one of the reasons why you know, there are no like healthy father figures that are presented. Um, within within media at this point, you know, like, why is it so so awful? You might ask for there to be a sort of a father figure in the home presented in a fictional setting, and you really don't ever see it. And that's the thing. Like there is there is a reason for that. There are also never like all white families. You you see a predominance of. Uh, racial uh, mixed families, and you, of course you do see some some all black families, but you never see all white families anymore. Um, Terry Rose says yes, they don't even hide their attitudes towards white people anymore. I exactly, it, it really has become quite overt at this point. And again, this isn't just I watched one TV show and I didn't like the racial dynamics. This is the entire sort of Hollywood produced sphere, and also the stuff that comes out of Britain as well as it has a lot of these different. Um, angles to them. It's not accidental. They actually seek this stuff out because they can in Hollywood, unlike in almost every other uh, industry. In Hollywood, they can actually say, hey, we need somebody who's, you know, a black woman who's within, has this particular uh, age range and so on. And in, in other uh, industries, they have to be more careful about it, at least for now, until, you know, it's, yeah, until it becomes even more overt, I guess you could say. Anyway, um, let's move on, okay, because I, I came across this headline. I was actually, it was an article that was sent to me, and I had to read it a couple of times because at first it didn't make sense. So I'm going to go ahead and share it with you because this isn't uh, Hollywood. This is actually our, uh, our news. Um, so here, here we are. Let's see. There we go. Lisa Jones sexually assaulted female stranger she followed in Melbourne. Okay, so you've got a woman who sexually assaulted... A female stranger in Melbourne. Obviously, this is Australian news. Now, I had to read that a couple of times because I was like, I don't, like, how? You know, like, like, seriously, like, how did that actually take place? And then I went ahead and read the opening sentence, which isn't in that screenshot, but it says, A Melbourne woman was walking home when another woman grabbed her and told her to lie down and have sex with me in a shocking attack, unquote. I'll go ahead and just tell you what's going on here because I know it doesn't make any sense. Still, Lisa is a guy. That's what's going on. So to bring clarity to this whole situation, that's a man. It's a man who was dressed up as a woman who mandates that other people call him by this female name. 
that's what's going on. And it's like, you can read this, this, this article, and you can read that headline, and you can have no idea. It's just confusing because it doesn't make sense. Because it's like, you, you, you read it and you're like, what? What's going on here? How did this actually happen? Well, that, that, that's what happened. And in fact, uh, he was jailed for this attempted attack for three years and three months. Yeah, I'll go ahead and turn uh, that off for the moment. Yeah, he was jailed for three years and three months for an attempted attack. It could have gone further, but bystanders intervened when they heard the victim, who actually was a woman, just to get these, you know, sex roles correct, uh, screaming for help. Bystanders came over and uh, interjected, and then one of the bystanders chased down Lisa the man um, so that he couldn't get away and so that police could actually arrest him. That's what really took place after, uh, you know, after this. After he, he, Lisa, had, you know, grabbed a hold of the female victim, refused to let her go, and then started to try and pull upon her, her jeans to remove her clothing. That's what really took place. None of that seems evident from a title about two women, you know, one of which is being chased in Melbourne. It just didn't make any sense. But this is the sort of reframing of our news, such that, like, who would even write that title? You know, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be facetious here, but it's like you can't write that title except for an absolute denial of truth, because that's what you're doing at that point. You're writing a title to try, title to try and intentionally obfuscate what actually happened because you have such little um, appreciation for truth and such an, an inherent adoption and a seeking of adoption for your own ideology, which, which by your own admission is counter to truth, right? Because, an, because you're adopting a title that denies all the actual facts. That's modern journalism. Like nowadays, that's modern journalism. And I think that it's going to start to get, you know, worse and worse and it's spreading. Yes, it's an Australian uh, article, but I don't think I'd be particularly surprised if I saw something similarly written at, say, the Huffington Post. Uh, in fact, I have seen similar things written at the Huffington Post, right? Um, so that took place. Now this um, man, we'll call him Lisa because I don't actually know his original name, but I know that he spent six years in a male prison in Germany for sexually assaulting a six-year-old girl, then as a more blatant man, then admitting that he was a man. Nowadays, of course, he's pretending to be a woman. And it's, it's Australia. It's, it's Melbourne, in fact. I would expect that he will, in fact, be jailed with women. I, that's where we really are. And there are so many people now that say that that's okay. And that it was actually in this article that this man was traumatized by the years that he spent in a male prison as a man in Germany for sexually assaulting a six-year-old girl. Six years old. And it's like, um, I'm not sure why there is an attempt to extend that degree of compassion to a man for the fact that he had to face consequences for that particular decision that he made. Like, that alone is actually disturbing, you know, to me. That the sort of person who would write this article would act like the real victim in this case is the man who was sent to prison for sexual assault. For, for sexual assault, rather. And, and not that the multiple victims in this case were the, the six-year-old girl who was assaulted and later the female that he tried to assault and failed to, uh, well, he failed to rape. Because that's, that's the real story. 
Um, let's see. Um, Mena says, I got fined for not make, making locals scan their phones at my pub. As soon as they seen I had a proper lawyer, they dropped everything. I assume you mean scan the phones for a Vax passport? Um, and if so, good for you. Um, but yes, this guy's a predator, but more disturbing, because they're always going to be predators, right? Um, more disturbing than that is the fact that we kind of increasingly have a sort of conglomeration of, you know, media and academia and also of entertainment that all is going to kind of work together to defend those predators um, at the expense of the victims. Because can you imagine being the victim in this case? The victim who has these articles written about how she was chased by some woman. When, she, from her perspective, which is the correct perspective, she was chased and assaulted by a man in drag, right? A man who was, you know, uh, strong enough that she was unable to get to get away by herself, unable to fight back. Her experience was real and horrifying, right? Um, and yet, all of that's kind of denied by these people who proclaim to be tolerant, right? Because the, the sort of article writer here is clearly on the far left. And that's the, the, the sort of group that's like, well, we're so tolerant and we have such empathy. It's like, well, you don't have empathy for the right people. Because the person in this case for whom you should have had empathy was the six-year-old girl who was assaulted back in Germany and the actual victim of the assault that took place in Melbourne. Not the guy who's going to prison, fortunately, and will now most likely be housed with other potential victims. Uh, and it's like these these people in the far left have thrown women under the bus in a lot of different ways, you know, in with the regard to the way that they have decided that bathrooms no longer should be just male and female, and instead we should kind of wedge them together the same way with locker rooms, same way with showers and prisons and so on. It's like uh, we could reach we had reached a point in society where we we're like, well, women. I, I'm not even sure it's fair to say that we we had reached a point because we kind of always knew that women were inherently physically weaker, right? Inherently physically more vulnerable and inherently physically not as strong and capable in sports. We knew all of these things. You know, we didn't need anybody to tell us. We, we've, we've always known these things. But it is because of that that in our civilized societies, we decided to separate women and men in order to protect women. And nowadays, all of that's being thrown away to protect the the man, but not just the man, because it's not the protection of, of some regular guy. A regular guy doesn't want to uh, go into the same bathroom with, with women who, you know, or doesn't want his daughters to have to go into the bathroom with, with, with men, right? So it's not a regular guy. We didn't abandon all social norms for just regular men. We abandoned social norms for best case disturbed men but perhaps more accurately, we abandoned all social norms for sexually deviant men who are more likely, by the nature of their deviance, to engage in such acts. That's, that's the truth. Um, okay, hold on. <clears throat> um, Tom says, I feel 65, I'm applying for social security. And why not? Right? Because at the point where you say, you know, 
I, I feel like I'm this other thing. Therefore, not only am I, am I this thing, but also you, society, have to comply and admit that I am this thing and kind of play a part in the delusion. At that point, I don't really see why age is any you know more limited, any more strict than than sex. I, I don't. <laughs> At that point, it's the same way with the racial stuff. And when they start saying things like, well, if you're say a black american and you want to get into college and we're going to give you extra points you know on your sats in order to get in well why can't somebody say well i identify as and i feel that i am black because the truth is that in american society contrary to leftist dogma um, it pays to be non-white right we, we increasingly have different things set up so that there is a benefit if you're not white. And it's not just in the university system, it's also in, say, federal grants. Uh, you can, if you can get a small business grant, for example, if you're a minority group, and also if you're a woman. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how that works since women aren't the minority group. But in any case, there, there you are. Uh, anyway, uh, I'm going to go ahead and move on for now, okay? There is a, a Democrat in Illinois, Representative Jonathan Carroll, who introduced a bill to deny health insurance to the unvaccinated just for this, for COVID, not, not the other vaccines. He doesn't care about those. Um, I don't know why, but this is like the, the modern things, like the, the other diseases, you know, that actually had, um, yeah, okay, I can't say that. But in any case, yeah, other diseases don't matter. COVID only matters. And so he wants to deny health insurance, meaning that in effect, because I looked through this, what he's saying is, even if you've paid for health insurance, you won't be able to use it. That is, if you're unvaccinated and you require hospitalization, um, you'd have to pay for it out of pocket. That's his personal punishment against you for your lack of compliance. And this is actually a really interesting concept. And yes, I think it's evil before I just describe it as interesting. I don't want you to think that I'm just kind of intrigued. Um, but when we were talking in years past, before this kind of, you know, saga started, about the problems with socialized healthcare. One of the things that I, I used to talk about was the fact that if you have socialized healthcare, you have the government with its own hands inside of healthcare. And to the degree that it can do that, it can also take your healthcare away. And so why couldn't they say, well, hey, you smoke, therefore um, you don't get healthcare. Or you're overweight, and so you don't get healthcare, or anything else, right? They could step in uh, and do that and start kind of denying care based upon who they think has value, based upon which lives they think have value, and based upon the decisions that they don't particularly like. Ultimately, it's your body, your health care, and you're, you ought to be able to decide what sort of health care you want and when. Uh, and when you're paying directly, this was one of the best things about the American healthcare system from my perspective. And I don't like the American healthcare system. I don't like any of them. Uh, just to be clear here, I think there's a lot wrong with the healthcare system um, in the United States and also um, around the world, because I don't like the socialized system either. I've talked before about how I'd, how I'd fix it, but that's too much for this video. What I do want to talk about, though, is when you start having the government with its control, this is what you always end up with. Now, the left denies this. Uh, leftists always say that this could never happen. You would never have you know, the government dictating which people have value and which don't, and, and who gets to have healthcare based upon the compliance of the populace. But that's exactly what we're talking about already. 
we don't even have socialized healthcare. But you've got this guy who wants to have some kind of, you know, fascistic control in the sense that you've got the government mandating to private corporations exactly what they should do and what they can do. That's what I'm talking about in the in the Mussolini sense of fascism being the merger of state and corporate power. I know some people want to argue that, about the fascism definition. That's how I'm going with it. And uh, when you look at it, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about using government force to say to private corporations, hey, you have to deny care to these people who have paid for care, who have specifically paid for that service. Um, yeah. And also in uh, Singapore, they've already done this, by the way. They're, they're already saying that if you, in their case, they're saying if you get hospitalized due to um, the virus and you're not vaccinated, then they're not going to cover your care. But they will if you're vaccinated and you get the virus. Um, they, however, don't say anything about covering your care if you have a reaction to one of the vaccines that they want you to get, which is particularly interesting. But this kind of thing is, is spreading around. There is a prominent German medical ethicist, and I say ethicist with some degree of um, dubiousness, but he's recommending that individuals who refuse the vaccine to be denied basic health care. His name is uh, Wolfram Hen, which is a very German-sounding name. He serves on Germany's Ethics Council, and he made this remark during a recent um, recent interview with the Bild newspaper. That's Bild, B-I-L-D, not like you might uh, want to spell it. But he said, whosoever wants to refuse the vaccination outright, he should. Please also carry a document with the inscription, I don't want to be vaccinated. I want to leave the protection against the disease to others. I want, if I get sick, to leave my intensive care bed and ventilator to others, unquote. Um, so, I mean, it seems like the Germans just kind of have this thing against being free, because it just seems like they, they, they constantly, faster than, than other countries, like to just kind of rush to destroy the, the rights and freedoms of their citizens. It was maybe, gosh, it might have been 10 years ago that I was... Uh, writing an article up about how in Germany they were going after parents who wanted to homeschool their kids and like you've even got these kind of European charters that say that parents ought to be able to homeschool their kids it's kind of like a basic human right and Germany's going no no because we don't want these kids to be taught something other than what the government wants them to be taught like almost like a well I guess actually an outright admission that they want to indoctrinate children and so in Germany, you actually have some parents who have been arrested and their children taken away because these parents wanted to, like, you know, raise their kids to be Christian and not little, you know, wards of the state. And I don't mean that in the, in the sense of taken away. I mean, not actually just regurgitate these sort of immoral messages of the state, which is what you see so common nowadays, because it's like if you send your kid away, you know, for eight hours a day well, you're sending your kid away. And that includes for sort of moral instruction. And we can all kind of, you know, smirk at the sort of dubiousness with which I say the term moral there, because he's talking about the sort of absence of morals that come from um, public school teachers. But that's what, we, that's what I mean, right? I mean, there are a lot of parents, let's say probably most parents, uh, who end up surrendering their kids to somebody else for more hours than they themselves spend with them. And it's like, well, that, that, that does have consequences in this sort of next generation. 
And if you look, like I, I don't know anybody who actually trusts academia, who trusts the, you know, that industry and those people who are in that system at this point. I don't. All right, hold on. And hello to Patricia. Patricia. Hello. Okay, so let's talk about Jesse Smollett because this has been the sort of big news of, of the moment because he just got found guilty on five out of six counts. But for a quick refresher as to who this guy is, remember he is the black gay actor who defines himself by those terms, by the way, who in Chicago one night a couple of years ago went at two in the morning, he claims, to get a Subway sandwich in the freezing weather in Chicago. And when he was out on that trip, two white supremacists <laughs> went up to him, attacked him, punched him in the face, poured bleach on him, then put a noose around his neck. And then in Chicago, a place where over 80% of the people voted for Hillary Clinton, they screamed, this is MAGA country. Then attacked and beaten. He went back to his, his room, his, his apartment, and the police were called. And when the police got there to file a report, he still had the noose around his neck, you know, like you would. Um, <laughs> and seriously, this was the story that we were told. And this is the story that was repeated over and over by media and by politicians you know, with a straight face, like they wanted us to believe that somebody, that somebody out there thinks that Chicago is MAGA country. Like you, you could, you, you would think that he didn't just go somewhere else. Like if he wanted to pull off a, I'm a victim of some, you know, hate crime, at least choose somewhere where it's even remotely believable, like not Chicago. You know, all the places, just not there. But no, I was like, he, he was there and he was really impatient. And he had a couple of guys. And, and of course, his, his white supremacists weren't even white, which was a little bit less than ideal. But they were the guys that he happened to know, mostly because he was sleeping with one of them. You know, being the gay guy, of course. Um, the hardest part to believe was that somebody actually recognized this guy, because I, I just can't even imagine. But in any case, supposedly, that was part of it too, of course. They, they just saw him and they were like, he's that guy, that, that black gay guy. Let's attack him with our bleach that we have on hand and our noose. Um, you know, there are actually a lot of different fake hate crimes. There's a site that's dedicated to showing you fake hate crimes, in fact. I think it's fakehatecrimes.org. But uh, this one was just so badly done that it was obvious from the start to anybody with a brain, which is not Eric Swalwell, Nancy Pelosi, Kamala Harris, any of those people. Of course, Jesse Smollett was the friend of Kamala Harris. So these, you had, in fact, him being attacked, as we're going to call it, by two black men who he paid $3,500 to attack him in this way, to punch him hard enough to bruise, but not hard enough to hurt him. That was apparently the, the dictate that he gave. And again, one of whom he was in a relationship with uh, a week earlier. He told the police that 
they were white, he could tell through the ski mask. And then, later on, he changed it to they were a little pale, he could tell through the eye holes. Um, this was really, this, seriously, I, I'm not even joking, this was this kind of changing story. It's not my fault that it's ridiculous. This is just what I have to report. Um, Swalwell, shortly after he went on TV and cried, shortly after that, Swalwell said that such hate crimes are due to hate-filled rhetoric, because this was 2019. So, in other words, it's Trump's fault. That's why Jesse Smollett was attacked in Chicago. Again, a place in which over 80% of the people voted for Hillary Clinton. It was Trump's fault, clearly, because it was MAGA country. Kamala Harris, at that time, also not going to let a crisis go to waste, because it wasn't a crisis to her, said this was a modern-day lynching, of course. You know, you can't ever let that go. And during this trial, uh, Jesse Smollett asked the prosecutor to stop using um, racial epithets during the trial. And I say that because the prosecutor was reading the text messages that Jesse Smollett actually sent out himself. And it included a lot of different racial epithets. And Jesse Smollett was just upset in hearing apparently his own words because you know that that's just how that's how all of us are you know it's like uh, he couldn't stop playing the victim for long enough to be like well since i said it maybe i shouldn't be the one to kind of act outraged but in fact he was so all in on this on this thing that he was like i'm still the victim of a hate crime even as i'm sitting here as a defendant for faking a hate crime. I'm basically the, the, the defendant, I'm basically being attacked by the prosecutor. The hate crime is ongoing. This is this is what he went with, guys. I mean, seriously. He was like, like, there are white supremacists everywhere. Just look around in the courtroom. Can you hear what this prosecutor is saying? Did you hear what he just called me? I think I heard the N-word. Oh, oh, that was my, that was my own text. This was the kind of trial that actually took place I kid you not, and it, it sounds like such a, a joke, but in fact, that's the way that it was. That's the way that his text messages actually read. And let's not forget, of course, in this case, that Michelle Obama knew Jesse Smollett quite well and interfered in the original investigation. I'm not sure how many people remember this, but she had her former chief of staff contact Kim Fox to make the case go away. Fox later recused herself after that was leaked to the world. It was seen as a little bit inappropriate, you might say. The next hearing in the case is for January 27th, when we'll find out whether or not he'll actually receive any jail time. Yes, he could, in theory, get three years. Um, it'll be locked away for three years. Most likely, though, do you actually think that's going to happen? Because I don't. I think most likely you'll get something like community service and or a fine, and they'll say that, you know, he's been humiliated enough, which obviously he hasn't, by the way, if he was still complaining about his own texts because he still sees little white supremacists everywhere who are busy victimizing him. He obviously still has not come to the acceptance that, in fact, he's not that darn important, right? It's like he just he sees it everywhere that everybody's just kind of all conspiring against him on the basis of his blackness and his gayness. And it's like, nobody really cares about you or knows who you are, and your show wasn't particularly, you know, big, and in fact it moved on without you. And that's the stuff that he doesn't want to hear. Um, 
Yeah, it, 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 it's an interesting case, but he was actually found guilty on five of the six charges. So I've heard a lot of people saying, well, why only five or six? Or we'll kind of go over those. Um, the first count, count one, accused him of telling then the first responding Chicago police officer, a guy named Mohammed Beg, um, at around 2.45 in the morning, because remember, that's when he was going to Subway, um, that he was the victim of a hate crime. He said that two attackers put a rope around his neck. Count number two refers to Smollett telling the same officer that he was a victim of battery, describing the attackers beating him and pouring bleach on him from, I believe, a hot sauce bottle, because um, it was so planned, you know, the whole thing. They were like, well, the bleach is just too big and too heavy. How do we make this work a little bit better? And we just want to sort of splatter you and not pour you. Yeah, this must have been the stuff that they sat around talking about. Because again, I know it sounds like I'm the one being facetious here, but somebody had to sit around and go, well, when we're pouring bleach on Jesse, uh, how's the best way to do this? Because it's got this kind of clicky top so that you don't spill it everywhere. So let's kind of jump in there and figure out, is there, is there a, a pour container that's a little bit better? I know. Let's empty the hot sauce, fill it up with bleach, and that'll work just great. That Somebody had to sit around and actually have that conversation. <laughs> anyway, um, counts three and four are from when Smollett made the same claims but to a different officer than Kimberly Murray later that morning at just before 6 a.m. All right, then count five accuses Smollett of again taking Murray at around 7.15. He was again telling, sorry, uh, Murray that at around 7.15 that he was the victim of a battery. So he was kind of regurgitating the same thing repeatedly and thus, as they put it, you know, committing multiple different counts. Count number six refers to him reporting on February 14th, a different day, to Detective Robert Graves that he'd been the victim of an aggravated battery. They did not find him guilty on that last point. Um, for whatever reason, but they got him on five of six. So, I mean, it was kind of like the, the same charge in a sense because he was just restating the same incorrect thing that had not actually happened. And, you know, right after it, uh, he was uh, going on about how he wasn't willing to share his DNA. You know, he wasn't willing to kind of cooperate in the case because he didn't want the attackers to be caught because one of the attackers was a guy that he was, I don't know, do you call that dating? I, I'm not really sure. But in any case, one of the guys that he'd had a sexual relationship with a week prior. Uh, Alright, let me, let me get a drink. <clears throat> um... Let's see. I'm just kind of looking through uh, your comments for a minute here. Uh, Zimbo says, if somebody had died because of Jesse Smollett's actions, do you think he would have been prosecuted for a worse crime? Well, you see how much trouble it got for him to just get prosecuted for what he did. Because there was, because he was so networked. And that really showed us something, or it should have, about the way the justice system works. The only reason that he was charged in the end was because it became such a, a media circus. And I don't mean the, me the regular media, I mean the sort of the people. And it became sort of an embarrassment. It was, it was very difficult for them to see anything else going on. You know, it became so, I guess, brazen to everybody that in fact what was going on here was that we have a two-tier justice system. And if you're a celebrity figure or if you're connected to certain politicians, then the things that you've done get swept under the rug and nobody gets to answer for it, despite the fact that he indeed did waste tons of police resources 
is they legitimately acted like they were trying to find, and they put real time into this, actually finding the white supremacists who were hunting around the streets of Chicago for black gay actors to recognize um, so they could screen this as MAGA country. Actual resources were spent on that. And that's why he was later charged, because he didn't just go to the media, which is probably what he actually wanted to do. Um, but he couldn't just go to the media and say, hey, I was attacked, but I decided not to call the police um, or file an actual report because I don't really want them caught because they're actually my black friends who are also gay and therefore doesn't seem like much of a hate crime. Um, so, yeah. Uh, Splash One Bandit says, The Salvation Army played that anti-white card too, but then backed off because they were losing um, donations. Yes, uh, that did in fact happen. And it, it, the backing off seemed a little bit half-hearted because they were just like, well, we care about diversity. We just... You know, but we didn't mean that, and it was taken out of context. And it's like if you read the original statements, it was it was very much, you know, anti-white. But uh, they did they did kind of concede the point. So I hope that whoever was responsible for that kind of pamphleting and for that marketing uh, has been fired, frankly, because I mean it was it was wrong. It was just absolutely wrong, and. And wicked. I think that 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 entire ideology um, is wicked. Um, okay, Krista says, "Good job, Sarah. You've kept a straight face through most of this news." No, I have not. But it's it it has been difficult. In my defense, it is very difficult to cover the Jesse Smollett case with a straight face. And the thing is, everybody else should have been that way. I mean, seriously, because everybody else should have been like. You know, hearing this story and going, there's no way that happened. There's no way. Um, anyway, um, diversity means less whites. That's exactly what it means, yes. It's, 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 that's the way that you can have these different... Uh, it, I see it all the time. Like, you, you'll see this picture of, you know, an, an all-black um, crew somewhere. And it's, it's in the media and so on. It's talking about how diverse they are. And it's like, I don't see any diversity. That's not what diversity is supposed to mean. It's supposed to mean difference, right? A group of people from different something, different background, perhaps. So yeah, it's whatever. Anyway, yes, whenever diversity is used nowadays, it is used to mean um, not white. Okay, let's go ahead and move on, because I wanted to share with you um, a couple of tweets that I saw from a woman named Michelle Goldberg, who is a New York Times columnist. And I read over it, and it's interesting because she's actually taking a perspective that's halfway um, sort of on our side, despite the fact that she clearly doesn't want to. And for that reason, it's actually way more interesting than it would otherwise be. Um, so here we are. And so she goes on and she says, Earlier, I deleted a tweet about my kid's school because I felt I hadn't done enough to confirm what my daughter was telling me, but now I have. At least one New York City public school is indeed making kids sit on the floor to eat lunch inside, for COVID reasons. Most days, they sit on the ground to eat outside. But parents were recently asked if their kids had permission to eat inside when it's too cold. My kids are double-vaxxed, so I said yes. In addition to not being allowed to sit at tables, they're not allowed to talk to each other. Unquote. Okay. And again, she's a New York Times columnist, and I think she's also occasionally an MSNBC correspondent. So she is on the far left, 
And that's pretty clear when she's like, my kids are double vaxxed. So obviously I said yes. Unlike those other kids who, I don't know, should sit outside in the cold for their health or something. Um, but in any case, that kind of shows you what New York City is like and how New York City is literally abusing kids. I'm just going to kind of, you know, call it how I see it, right? Um, they're abusing kids because you're, you're preventing them from having social interaction. You're preventing them from talking. You're requiring that they either sit on the floor and or sit outside. And these things have been kind of normalized, like seriously normalized to the degree that, you know, if I could go back three years and talk about this kind of a case, it just wouldn't even make any sense to any of us. But now it's like, well, these people are insane, you know, and there, and there is no limit to the sort of decrees that can be passed by schools or by cities, by mayors and by governors that surprise us. Even if it's, hey, the kids can sit on the floor to eat for their health and not communicate with one another. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's warped. And I just kind of wanted to share that with you because, again, I think if it was coming from somebody who was sort of on the right, uh, there would be more doubt of it. But when it's coming from somebody on the other side, who's, you know, again, New York Times, he doesn't really get, you know. So uh, it, it's, you know that it's true because the person is saying something that they wouldn't want to say. Um, and so that, that, that's kind of my overall point there. Um, and yeah, New York City is absolutely awful. I can't imagine. Imagine sending your kid to a public school in New York City. Uh, I just can't even. Uh, seriously. Um, that, that in itself is um, abusive. Okay, hold on. All right, and... Um, okay, so I, I do want to move on, because, again, I, I have so much to cover this time. Um, and you guys are here, so let's do this, all right? So it, this this actual piece of news is is really from August 2021, but it's something that only just now kind of reached out into the sort of ether. It's only just now that, that it became known on social media and it's starting to spread, whereas in the past it, it was kind of buried. But what happened was that the Oregon governor, Kate Brown, signed a bill called Oregon, it was Oregon Senate Bill 744, that's supposedly to help students of color. That's their term, obviously, not mine. And the bill meant that high school students didn't have to prove that they could read, write, and do math to graduate. Now, the thing is that originally there were a lot of people who said, well, it's due to the pandemic. That, and that's why it didn't get a lot of coverage at the time. It was that people were saying, well, it must be declining standards due to the fact that so many kids weren't in school and they were getting kind of a lackluster education, even by modern standards. And therefore, we're like, well, you know, we'll just graduate them anyway because we don't want to punish them for the fact that we're doing a crappy job. Thing is, that wasn't it. According to Charles Boyle, a spokesman for the governor, the new standards for graduation would help benefit the states, and I quote, Black, Latino, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, Tribal, and students of color. Unquote. <laughs> Imagine being the black kid in the state of Oregon 
who's like, well, great. Now we don't have to be able to read and write because the state government decided that I'm incapable of it. I mean, that's what that's the message that's being sent to to any apparently any non-white because they've even got like Asian in there and it's like they don't do badly academically. You know, so I'm not even sure. It's like it's like they just decided to go ahead and list every non-white group. They're like, it's okay that we're doing this because it's for the non-whites. So who's going to complain? That seems to be the kind of um, uh, argument that's taking place here. And they also said Latinx, you know, because Latino is just apparently too too masculine. Uh, that, that's where they are. But it's like, seriously. And yeah, I saw somebody in the chat a second ago saying this is the soft bigotry of low expectations and it's very insulting to those kids. Well... Yeah, it is. But it also sets, it's not just insulting, it's like, I do think there is something to the fact that if you tell a person that he's incapable of a certain action, then he's more likely to believe it, especially if you tell a person that from a position of authority, you know, and, and there is, and that's, teachers have a ridiculous amount of power over kids. They have a ridiculous amount of power over what kids think and believe to be true, more in many cases than a parent. You know, a parent will say one thing, the kid will go into school, the, the, the teacher will say the other thing, and who's the kid going to believe? The teacher, oftentimes, because, you know, it's the parent and who listens to the parent. Well, the thing is, you're going to have teachers who are going to kind of, you know, in, in, in essence, they're going to be telling these, these people, well, we dumbed it down so that, um, so that the non-whites could compete or so that the non-whites could graduate because we didn't think you were capable. Of even graduation, we're not even talking about some advanced level or something like that, like we talked about before in, pretty sure it was New York, they have the kind of um, really high-grade academ academic schools where you have to kind of reach a certain degree of prowess in order to get in, and you had a sort of disparity there where you had a majority Asian and then some white and very few black with, you know, and that's just the way that it worked out in a sort of merit, meritocratic system. Okay, but in this case, we're actually just talking about basic high school graduation and the ability to show that they're able to read, write, and do math at high school level. And they're being told, well, we know that you can't do that. I mean, that actually does have an impact upon people, especially kids, you know, saying, hey, we know you can't, so just don't even try. Um, you know, we know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. So, uh, yeah. Uh, Tom A says, it stems from that everyone gets a medal for trying mentality. I, I think the two are related but different. I, I do think that they're both kind of independent problems. I do think we kind of have a... We've been raising a couple of generations now, because uh, it happened with the millennials too, which is my generation, um, where there was sort of like a reticence to say that hey, that other kid's better than you. Because that it sounds harsh, right? But maybe the other kid is better than you. Maybe you should work harder to become better than him. And that was the kind of older metric was, hey, the kid that's best gets the, gets the gold. And the kid that's not as good doesn't, right? And therefore, we can have some kind of competitive thing going on. Nowadays, it's like, well, competition is bad because it hurts some people's feelings because the kid who didn't get the gold, he's going to he's gonna sit around and he's going to think about that and he's going to think he's inadequate compared to the other. It's like, well, that's that's the world. That's literally life. Is that There will be people who do better than you in different fields and you have to either come to terms with that fact 
or compete enough and dedicate yourself enough that you're better than him and then he feels bad um so somebody ends up feeling bad uh potentially but the, the, the there is seriously a problem with the kind of uh thesis that if you raise a kid to never have his feelings hurt that that won't have an impact later on in life when he goes into the real world and experiences the fact that well he will experience disappointment and that there will be people better than him in just about every area of life um and i think you end up with having you know millennials and gen z people who end up going into the workforce without that expectation like seriously they've never been told hey you're not very good at this um you're not going to get a gold star seriously or you're fired because you you're not stepping up and you're not as good as your peers and they end up kind of i mean it's a disservice to them it really is to not expose a child when he's a child to that because the whole point is you know we're supposed to be raising them so they're capable of you know succeeding and and being the best that they can be right to use one of their stupid slogans in in the future as adults and instead uh that's not good enough um let's see life is unfair yeah a man has to know his fallings and and strengths yeah that's uh, unfortunately you know it's the world we live in you know until until it's been re redesigned by by millennials and gen zers no I, i'm kidding uh, you can't really build a society like that but if you think about a society like that what would that be i mean i'm not giving you a quiz here it would be communism um because in a communistic system everybody is at the lowest right because you can't raise everybody to the highest bar it's a it's an absolute impossibility but you can pull people down and in so doing get sort of equality of outcome and if you want equality of outcome that's the only way you can do it is by deciding that people can only progress a certain degree that basically the amount of <clears throat> excuse me success that a person can get is capped because you wouldn't want other people to feel bad and because you wouldn't want to create a system where some people have more wealth than others because then you have the haves and the have nots and that's a real problem so let's go ahead and equal it out for fairness no less despite the fact that the amount of effort put in is unfair and despite the fact that people as individuals have different strengths and weaknesses instead let's even it all out this is what this is going this is why that we're doing what we're doing you know i'm just kind of bringing this up because i'm not sure if anybody has really thought this through as far as why we're doing the whole participation trophy and everybody's is all equal and everybody's perfect in every way thing in childhood it's to prepare them for a society that wants that a society that yearns for that a society that can't handle anything else that can't handle a meritocracy because in a meritocratic society you will have some people who are enormously wealthy some people who are enormously successful and yes that in fact does trickle down to help other people in a capitalistic system um but but still you'll always have people who are doing less well looking up and saying why can't i be him and you know if you raise kids with the expectation that in fact they should get exactly what everybody else has regardless of the amount of effort and regardless of the amount of frankly inherent skill and giftedness then you're you're preparing them for the only society that could 
placate them, which is a communistic society. And I don't think it's accidental that that's the, the kind of society that these kids are, prepare, are prepared for. It's the only society that they're prepared for. And of course, it doesn't work in, in actuality. But, you know, the people who are raising these kids and these people who are teaching these kids are those who think that a communistic society would work and would present some kind of a utopian vision. Obviously, it wouldn't. Obviously, it hasn't throughout history. It has resulted in millions of deaths um, and a heck of a lot of democide throughout the 20th century. But there are some, some people who still say, well, if it was just implemented correctly, um, everything would be fine. And there are also those, I don't, know, I don't know how many communists you've spoken to, but there are also those who, who go on about, well, those deaths in the USSR, I mean, they were just accidents as we were trying to kind of figure out the system and how it should work. There are people who make that argument. There, there really are. It's, it's um, a little perplexing. It's like, it becomes difficult to argue with a person who's like, well, you know, sure, millions of people died mistakes were made like it's just kind of haphazard like you just kind of happen sometimes you know who would have thought uh that kind of thing uh okay let me get a drink because i'm losing my voice um no i don't think collins would be particularly good for this show um sorry i don't and part of that is just because i'm female and so it gets it gets weird um just being honest with you here it does okay uh, anyway, um, moving on. Oh, at the uh, Barack Obama Global Prep Academy in LA, yeah, that's not a joke, that's a real place, uh, students were given the vaccine, the, the COVID vaccine, without the parents' permission. They were, the students were bribed with pizza and then told not to tell their parents that they had been given this vaccine. Um, the school officials in that particular case shouldn't just be fired, and by the way, they should be fired, but they should be arrested. I mean, you know, you've got those on the left who are always throwing around the term violence. Well, this was an act of violence. It was an assault on those kids who were not in a position to consent, who did not fully understand what they were consenting to, many of whom would have different, different arrays of medical conditions, different arrays of allergies. Um, many of whom would need some parent to step in and know what's going on if a side effect happened later on at home and know what the heck perhaps caused it. It's absolutely evil and wrong. And that, I mean, the fact that, that took place is just amazing. Again, this was Barack Obama Global Prep Academy in LA. They actually bribed these kids and said, you know, here, you can have some pizza and... Um, if you take the vaccine and don't tell your parents. And what is that about teachers saying, don't tell your parents? Uh, because that's the kind of thing that you expect from predators. And that's why I mention it, because that's literally what like sexual predators and so on do with kids. Like we've got the special secret, don't tell your parents. This is you know what you call grooming, right? When you've got a predator that's building this I guess you can call it a trust relationship with a child that is unhealthy and dangerous. And I've noticed this um, bizarre thing that's, that's going on with teachers in the modern age. And it's really disturbing because like during the beginning of the sort of uh, COVID saga, 
when you had a lot of schools shut down, there were a lot of teachers who were suddenly really upset, and I covered this at the time, they were really upset that suddenly they couldn't talk to their kids, or rather indoctrinate their kids, about issues related to race and sex. And they said as much, that these were issues that they couldn't discuss anymore because the parents would be listening, and normally they could talk about this in the classroom and say, this is a topic that you shouldn't share with your parents. It's like, firstly, if you're teaching it in a public school, um, there is nothing that should be taught that should not be shared with their parents. And secondly, um, there is something really um, evil about preparing a child for a trust relationship with an adult like that, an adult of authority, and teaching that kid that's perfectly normal and acceptable that they should have this special secret together. That's dangerous and it's twisted. And uh, we saw it a lot during the early days of um, of COVID, uh, when when you had these these um, suddenly the education was online and the kids were sitting at home and you had all these different teachers complaining on places like Twitter about how they could no longer have these conversations with the kids. And it's like, well, maybe you shouldn't be having those conversations with the kids, you know. You just shouldn't. We don't have secret conversations with children. Um, it's wrong, it's dangerous, and it's downright evil. Okay. Um, a Great Lakes Nationalist says, Most of the public education sphere, and maybe half of the private, is irredeemably corrupt. It can't be saved. Yeah, and I think we should kind of get rid of default public schooling and replace it with at least a voucher system so that parents have some choice over where they send their kids and so that the, the kind of the bad schools just die the idea that you should have these schools that are set up unable to fail because they get guaranteed kids and because you know and then they have these unions where they can't even fire their their teachers regardless of how bad they are they end up paying them even when they aren't actually using them, so therefore they kind of, you know, get this incentive to use them. And then you've got these, uh, some systems, I think Project, Project Veritas covered this, where you have teacher unions that are moving, you know, uh, teachers who've been accused of sexual assault around amongst their schools because they don't want to fire them. You've got systems like that that's set up um, when you have a union that is so hell-bent on preventing a single teacher from being fired. These are the kind of systems that we all ought to want to get rid of. I do think that there is a, you know, I understand the value of making sure that every kid gets an education. You only get, you know, one chance at that. Uh, I, however, do not think we're doing that. I think that we are, you know, if you look at the, the public output, the, you know, the output of the public school system and how few are considered um, able to read and write well, it's absolutely horrifying. It, it really is. And the thing is, that's sort of like, that's just, it's almost all you need, in a sense. Like, I, I personally, I, I didn't rely very heavily upon my public school education, which is what I got um, for my education. I didn't. But the fact was that I had enough of an education that I was able to read and write um, well enough that I could educate myself about other topics. And that's kind of what I consider the point of the public education is at least get the kid to that point where he is capable of self-education thereafter. 
Like that's the sort of, you know, base limit. From there, he can take it and learn whatever it is he has to learn. He can even teach himself math if he needs to. But he needs to get those foundations taught to him. And our public schools aren't even doing that at this point. And so when I hear people say, well, you know, you can't get rid of the public school system because, you know, the kids have to have an education. It's like, well, they're not getting one. Ultimately, they're not. And so if it was replaced by a sort of voucher system, which for those who've never heard this um, idea, it's, well, the government pays a certain amount of money um, for every school, for every kid that goes to public school right now, right? And so instead of that, what you'd have is parents would be given a voucher for their child and they would be able to, you know, an equivalent of what we are already spending on public school. It would be in the hands of the parents and the parent could then go to whatever schools, you know, they wanted to send their kid to and say, well, here's the voucher. I give this voucher. I give this money to you rather than to that other school because that other school is teaching messages that I don't like or has, you know, uh, blue head transgender teachers that I don't want teaching my kids or it has... Um, illiteracy, you know, level that is absolutely appalling or whatever. And then the really bad schools would die in a, in a sort of semi-free market sense. Um, and so even when you had particularly poor parents, you're still talking about the money that already is being spent by the government. Okay, so that's the system for those who've never like, heard of it before. I don't want to just say voucher system and assume that you all know what I'm talking about because at least some of you um, won't. Uh, hold on. <clears throat> uh, Fortis King says, like magnet schools or charter schools. Well, yeah, exactly. The voucher would be taken to a kind of charter school where people could, you know, choose uh, uh, where to go. Um, Invader Zim says, I hear a lot of parents are going homeschool. Yeah, and I think that's kind of an ideal. I do. I think that it's an ideal. And I think that if you want your kids to have a good moral instruction, then, I mean, there you go. You actually have the ability to give them a religious and moral education that's proper. And as long as you're sending your kid to someone else, you know, for eight hours a day, you're placing an immense amount of trust in that third party to educate your kid and to not just educate your kid, but to give your kid the moral messages, which is perhaps arguably more foundational. Um, and you're not going to have somebody that does that better than better than you could. And I also find it weird when I hear these people say, well, I don't think I'm qualified to educate my kid, um, you know, at, at you know, K through 12 level. And it's like, well, if you're not, then what does that say about the public educational system that educated you and that you want to send your kid to? Like, it, it didn't educate you well enough to teach your child. And ultimately, if you're in that position, by the way, and I'm, trying, I'm not trying to just complain at you, I'm trying to actually offer solutions here. Um, a, you can educate yourself. Um, you know, you're, you're presumably you know, capable of, of that. But moreover, it's become a lot easier to homeschool uh, within the last 20 years. There are a lot of different um, online curriculums that you can use that do a lot of self-grading, especially in areas of math that everyone is kind of scared of teaching, especially at high school level. Um, it's a lot easier than it, than it once was. It's not like you just sit there with a bunch of books um, and go through it, unless you want to do that. And some people, you know, that's just kind of their shtick. But for most people, I think they prefer the sort of automatic grading and a lot of the, the uh, teaching being done without these sort of moral or immoral, rather, messages being weaved into the uh, curriculum to, to result in a kid who doesn't know if he's a boy or a girl. 
Okay. <laughs> Alright. Um. Okay, one guy says, what's crazy is none of this was acceptable or the norm just a while ago. What is What change is causing this? Demographics, forever plastics, dysgenics. Well, okay, I'm not sure what it was specifically that you're referring to as far as, you know, none of this was acceptable. Um, there is a lot uh, to unpack in that comment, actually. Yes, I do think demographic change has a, a real net effect on the sort of culture in which we live. I do think that there are plasticizing agents that also have an effect upon the sort of like feminization of males and the masculinization of females. Um, you know, all, all of that is absolutely true. I'm not sure, again, exactly what part of the, the craziness is, is what you're pointing at. But I think that more foundationally, we have a problem as we are moving toward a secular society that is losing its basic sense of right and wrong. And ultimately, that's where I see the problems, is the fact that, like, like now, we have reached a point where we're unable to, or unwilling to, point out what truth is. Like, where the transgender issue is most obvious, we're not willing to say, hey, that's a guy, and hey, that's a woman, on the basis of what we know to be true. And by, by we, I'm referring to, like, society as a collective, not you and me, right? And I think as we move towards a secular society, and that is happening, uh, you're going to have this happening at a, at a faster and faster rate, as you see happening at a faster rate than the United States throughout Europe. And I think that you saw it happen, frankly, in, in Britain, where I grew up, uh, starting around the time of after World War II, uh, where the sort of rejection of Christianity took hold and became a cultural norm to the degree that now it's kind of socially unacceptable to be Christian in, in England. And people don't believe me when I say that, but it's, it's actually true. And as such, you have a declining society that's unwilling to to accept anything as as certain, because over time you kind of have this sense that well, well, nothing is is entirely true. Everything's a shade of is a shade of gray, and you know there is no sort of moral absolute anymore. And when you build a society on that sort of shaky foundation, you build a society on a foundation of sand, and it's not going to basically hold up very well. And so you see this, this ever decline, and we see that in our own society here in the United States as well, uh, to a lesser degree, because it's, hap it's happened to a lesser degree, but it's still here, and we're still kind of on a downward trajectory. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, Arizona Extreme Angling says, you mean, uh, okay, sorry, I thought I was going to read it and then it, my, my thing moved. There you go. You mean like running a thousand commercials, telling boys to wear skinny jeans while this girls are all riding skateboards and beating each other up? Um, well, yeah, there, there really is a sort of um, cultural desire to, to sort of masculinize um, girls and feminize boys. Yeah, and, and but it's at the same time as that, that then they go to school and then they're told, hey, are you, you know, you the girl, you seem way more interested in skateboards. Are you sure you're a girl? You know, and in previous times we'd have just said, hey, she's a tomboy, right? Now, now we take that child and we cast doubt on one of the few most foundational topics that gives her a sense of self, right? I was the tomboy. I grew up in a in a home with five brothers. They were like my, my heroes, and you know, I, I climbed the trees with them, and so on. And 
nowadays I, I, I kind of wonder if I spent if I had spent through my young years time in a public school and had been told something like well maybe you are actually a boy I mean th there is a sort of evil to that to telling a child hey this one thing a very few things that you know for sure to be true and from which you have built your identity actually might not be true you know and, and it casts that entire person into a sense of um doubt and it's it's really wicked what they what they're doing to kids it is and um yeah i make no apology for for questioning it and for um criticizing it uh let's see okay um let's move on because i've got a little bit more that i'd like to talk about and i know it's getting late uh the gilly maxwell well, well trial is getting less media coverage than just about everything i don't know if you've noticed but it's like you get more media coverage for couples fighting about you know old cars on judge judy and i saw this recently on social media someone say that and i was like that's exactly true but you know what got a lot more coverage the Carl Rittenhouse trial it got a heck of a lot more coverage and I think there's a reason for that is because they were hoping for a different outcome in the Rittenhouse trial they were hoping that what we would have is a precedent that said that people can be deprived of their rights that basically that gun rights or what you might call your right to self-defense simply is invalid and so they wanted that publicized throughout the entire United States, and of course, it was actually publicized around the world, but they wanted that message publicized throughout the United States that everybody would hear it and everybody would be afraid to defend their lives and their property using firearms thereafter, that it would set this kind of, if not a legal precedent, because it wouldn't have set like a, a nationwide um, legal precedent, but it would have set a cultural precedent that everybody would have thought about and turned to and it would have questioned you know, it would have caused them to question whether or not they could do this thing, which, you know, he did and he was correct in so doing. So that's the reason that they gave so much media exposure to the Cal Rittenhouse case. Because now the uh, Gilly Maxwell trial is temporarily on hold due to a sick attorney, apparently. Uh, we will we'll see how that one works out. But in any case, it's not like she's actually out um, and free. So I know a lot of people are kind of angry about it, but it's not like she's, you know, uh, a, a free woman at the moment while she's awaiting trial she's still incarcerated so um yeah but I, I think it is telling just how little exposure and again it's like we're, we're kind of casting all the guilt on this one woman but what about the clients why are we not hearing about the actual men that these underage girls were trafficked to i mean you know, yes, I think that this woman should be, you know, uh, charged for her role in so doing, but it seems a little like we're ignoring all the high power names of people who were involved in this, who actually raped these girls and just kind of looking away and saying, well, you know, um, let's just focus on this woman that, that nobody had heard of until this case when we know that half of Hollywood, at least half of the male um, actors in Hollywood, had flown over there. We know about Bill Clinton going over there, obviously. Um, you know, to Epstein's Island, that is, to be clear. Uh, and, and it's just all ignored. It's twisted. All right, I think I'm going to probably go ahead and wrap up the show in just a minute, so if you do have any extra questions for me, um, go ahead and get them in. And if you, if you would... 
put at Sarah Corio at the beginning so that way I, it, it lights up for me so I can actually see your questions and they're distinct from your regular chats within each other. Okay, because otherwise it gets kind of uh, confusing to try and find the questions within. Oh, and I, and I will say Newsmax, so whilst, you're, whilst you're typing, um, Newsmax um, is considered to be on the right, right? It's considered to be um, an alternative to Fox News because Fox News takes the wrong side whenever it's an important enough issue. Right? During the election, for example, that's when they're always kind of gloating whenever Democrats start winning. I've noticed that. And so for others, it's like at any time that you have like this, some you know, massive election, whether it's midterms or not, you, you turn on Fox News and they're gloating about the Democrat victories. It's really odd. Well, anyway, a lot of people switch to either OANN or to Newsmax. And Newsmax keeps firing people who question the, um, the COVID narratives. And just recently, they had this uh, holiday party, they called it. Not a Christmas party, because, you know, why would you acknowledge Christ in Christmas, of course? So they had this holiday party in uh, New York City. And they pointed out that you had to have your vaccine to attend. And for me, it was, it seemed so audacious to consider that these people are supposedly on the right side. Because it's like... Okay, some people might say, well, it's the city policy. It's like, well, have it in a different city, you know? Like, take a, take a darn stand, you know? Um, but if you're not willing to, to do that much, or not willing to, to move cities, then don't be the enforcer of the tyrants. Like, seriously, don't play a role. And I, I published an article about this recently. It's like, yes, it's the governments, and yes, it's the governors, some take cases, and yes, it's the mayors, who are making the rules, but it's regular people who are playing roles, enforcing the very tyranny in which we live. And these dictates wouldn't have any power if people refused to, you know, to, to play that role, to to be the sort of minions of it. And at some point, people have to start standing up. And you would think that at Newsmax, where there's a reasonable probability and certainly a public perception of them being on the right, more traditionalist, you might say, that they would say, you know, we're going to take a stand for people's basic freedoms to decide whether or not they're interested in taking something into their body. We're going to decide, you know, we're going to take a stand so that people have the right to take that stand because we don't think we're the enforcers of that. You know, we never signed up for that. We don't think it's right. And that's what I would ask, you know, that that people have that sort of basic decent. I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine, seriously, setting up a party somewhere in a city that I know has this dictate and then signing on like, yeah, that's okay. We don't mind the dictate at all. In fact, we're going to go ahead and enforce it and make sure we scan people's QR codes or what have you to make sure that, they're, you know, that they've had this um, medical procedure that many of whom didn't want it. Like, like, I just can't even imagine being that person. Like, again, they had options. They could have chosen a different city. They could have chosen not to enforce. But at a certain point, it's, it's up to you to be the one to, you know, decide whether or not to be a moral human being or not. I'm just going to kind of call it how I see it in that particular topic. <clears throat> 
Uh, now guilt? Oh, no white guilt. Says, I know it's scary to embrace white well-being, but it's what really matters right now. Um, I I'm not really sure exactly what you mean by that, I but in cases where society and culture and media have um, worked against people who are white, um, I've I've covered it, and that's uh, all I can say on that. Anyway, Zimbo says, did you hear that Democrats and Republicans want a preemptive nuclear strike, strike rather, against Russia over Ukraine? Yes, I also heard that uh, multiple people on the left keep talking about how they want a CIA coup against Russia, which is really odd because these were the people who... <laughs> you know, 10 years ago or so, were all really opposed to the intelligence agencies, right? Especially under, like, George W. Bush and stuff. And, and I'm not even faulting them for that. They were right. Um, that, you know, you should be opposed to our intelligence agencies is working in these in these sort of sneaky ways. Like, if we're going to go to war, we're going to go to war. But uh, instead, nowadays, they're like, they've, like, entirely switched sides. And, like, that's what we need to do. And the truth is that what they expect is that Biden is going to do nothing, which is what he often does, the same way with how he's handling China, and the, well, we're just going to sit out the Olympics, but not really, and all of that kind of thing, because Biden doesn't want any conflict, especially not with China, let's be honest. Um, yeah, so anyway, uh, let me kind of scroll through here. All right, I'm just kind of scrolling through for your questions, and it doesn't look like I have any more, so, and I'm, my voice seems to be uh, drastically dropping off um, in recent times. Uh, Kyle DeFranco says, God bless Putin. It's kind of interesting, isn't it? Like, there are certain uh, areas in which nowadays uh, Russia, uh, the Russians, have more freedoms than we do. And so increasingly you end up with people using um, social media sites and search engines that are set up over in Russia, like such engines like Yandex, for example, which is what I, you know, use most of the time now because I can actually find what I need to find there. And it's like, it seems so ironic because it's like you're turning to the former USSR for freedom. And I think that there is something about the fact that a lot of the people um, who, uh, this is this is not about uh, Putin, but it's just about the uh, Russian people. There are a lot of uh, Russian people over there who see more value in freedom than we do because they've lived in a society that didn't have it. And, it's, and it's, it really is a lot like what you kind of see with, let's say, what, what's his name? There was the, uh, the pastor um, who fled Poland, right? And he went to Canada for freedom so that he could preach. And he went, left Poland when it was under uh, the communist rule. And it's very much like that. It's that kind of same sentiment of, you know, he, he went to Canada and it was his name, uh, Arthur Pawlowski, there you go. Um, and he he sees what so many others don't and so many like Canadian pastors and so on kind of bent the knee to the establishment. And he said no, because he sees something that's worth fighting for, something that's, that's critically important and has refused to bend the knee, even as they tried to destroy him and his family um, as much as they can and his church, no less. Um, he's a good man, and I've had him on the show before. I did a long interview with him, and maybe I will again at some point. Um, okay, guys, that, 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 that's it for now, because I, I really am losing my voice. But thank you so much. You've been wonderful tonight. Um, I do appreciate it. All right, have a wonderful night. If you're enjoying this podcast, please consider helping to support it. You can give a one-time donation or buy a branded mug at 
thecrusadergal.com. Or you can donate monthly by searching for my name, Sarah Correa, at Subscribestar. Thank you so much. I couldn't do this without your support. And whether you can help financially or not, don't forget to tell your friends. Big Tech isn't going to help me spread the word. Thank you.